Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, so Genesis chapter 30, Genesis. Yep, we're still in Genesis. Here we are. Genesis chapter 30, verse 31. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to focus, to really get down to business and to see what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 30, verse 31. He said, what shall I give thee? Jacob said, thou shalt not give me anything. Thou will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled, spotted cattle, all the brown cattle among the sheep, all the spotted speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face. Every one that's not speckled, spotted among the goats, brown among the sheep, thou shall be counted stolen with me. Laban said, Behold, I would, might be according to thy word. He removed the day, removed that day, the he goats that were ring straight and spotted, all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave it into the hand of his sons. And he said, Three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of hazel and chestnut tree and piled or pilled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had pilled before the flocks and the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring strakes, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated. The, Jacob did separate the lambs and set the face of the flocks toward the ring straked and all the brown in the flock of Jacob, Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not unto Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feebler, he put them not in, so the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. I hope you're getting a feel for how complicated this whole scheme was that Jacob was up to here. Anyway, verse 43. The man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. Going on now, chapter 31. He heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob had taken away all that was our father's and of all that was our father's had he gotten all this glory. Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindreds and I will be with thee. All right, now, in our last study, we saw how Jacob here had made this particular proposal to Laban, which was that if Laban was to just agree to, to separating out of Laban's herds here, all the very, very small number, practically none of the goats that were not black and separate the sheep that were not white and let those animals be Jacob's. Okay, 
and along with any non-black goats and non-white sheep that just might be born out of by chance over the next six years, well, those would be Jacob's too. If he agrees to this, he says, I'll return and I'll keep, I'll guard, Shamar, your flocks again. He says, I'll agree. And that's what Laban really wanted. He wanted, would you just stay? Would you just not leave? He says, I'll do this. I'll return. I'll stay. I'll guard. Those words, three words in Hebrew. Your goats and your sheep. Now, for Laban, this was unbelievable. He looked over his herds. He saw practically no goats that were not black, practically no sheep that were not white. And Laban saw, I'm not going to be giving up anything. This is a tremendous deal. It's almost as good as swapping one wife for another. <laughs> and so then, as Laban you know, thought about the next six years, Laban thought, black goats will never make non-black goats. White sheep will never make non-white sheep. He said, and he didn't even have Mendelian genetics to figure that out, but he was a smart man. Anyway, so we saw how Laban just jumped on this deal in verse 34. And that's what verse 34 is. Verse 34 is jump on the deal. Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. And just to make sure that Jacob was not trying to somehow pull a fast one on him, not that Jacob ever tried to do anything like that, but anyway, he tricked Laban. Laban didn't trust Jacob to remove the non-black goat and the non-white sheep. So Laban, even though Jacob said, I'll do it, Laban jumped in himself and did it. And also, Laban didn't trust Jacob's sons to keep the culled animals from the herd. Laban gave that job to his sons. You just hear him saying, now you boys make sure you keep these animals separated. So Laban did not want Jacob to have any time to reconsider. This really may not have been a fair deal. So Laban launches off with these words that day. That's why that's very important in verse 35. He removed that day. You need to wait till the next day, as the proposal says. You remove the, you did all those things. Okay. Now, and just to make sure that the separation didn't somehow break down, it took Laban three days to get the culled animals away from the herds, which actually were Laban's herds, that Jacob was taking care of. Now, we have to stop here and just wonder. I mean, I have. I mean, I don't know if you do this, but I do. I was wondering, what was Jacob thinking? I mean, how did he have confidence that he was not going to waste six more years? He'd already wasted seven years because of the wife swap, but, switch, I should say, switch. But what was in his mind? How does his mind, how does, he, how does he know that he's not going to waste six more years and have nothing to show for it? How was Jacob sure that he could make black goats make non-black goats? And how could he make white sheep make non-white sheep? I mean, we don't know. We just don't know what Jacob was thinking. I mean, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to sit down. Are you Jacob? Yes. Okay. Can we sit down and talk about this a little bit? I just want to know what was it that he was thinking in his mind that he was willing to gamble with six more years of his life. But Jacob was very confident. And we see that in verse 7, 37, is that Jacob was very confident and he may have been the only one that was sure that his plan was going to work. But he's an entrepreneur, and he's very sure, and he's willing to gamble with six years of his labor that his plan's going to work. So we see in verse 37 that Jacob is just launching off with all of his heart into his plan. And that's where we get this in verse 37, where he, he goes out and, can't you see him? He's gathering these three types of, oh, I need this, I need this branch. Oh, yeah, that's the one, the poplar or, or liquid amber, as we know it. Oh, yeah, I need some liquid amber. I need some hazel. 
hazelnut tree uh, branch right there, yeah. Oh, chestnut. I need that one too. As it says there, he peeled white strakes in them, made the white appear, which is in the rod. So he goes and he takes these young, straight branches of the liquid amber and the hazel trees and the chestnut trees, and he strips off certain parts of the young bark, and he left the bark in other parts so that he made white stripes, essentially. In other words, he took uniform, uniform colored bark, like the uniform colored goats and the sheep, and by peeling off the bark in this linear manner, he makes this white flesh under the bark to appear. I mean, uh, can you imagine Jacob's family watching Jacob do this? and wondering, what's he doing? What they saw, and then what they saw, they kind of sat back and said, well, look, you know, what's he doing? Well, verse 38 says that he set the rods, which he had peeled before the flocks, in the gutters of the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive, in Hebrew, you know, hot, when they get hot, in other words, they're in heat, when they came to drink. So what they saw was Jacob taking these rods and setting them up so that the female animals would be looking at them when they came to the watering troughs. And because the watering troughs was where the male animals hung out to jump the females, to mount them while they were drinking water. So the, so the scene is that the females are getting a drink at the watering troughs, and the males are mating with them at the watering troughs, and Jacob has set this up so that the females are looking at these striped rods during the mating process. It's very complicated. So Jacob has based his plan. He's got an idea in his mind, and the idea is this. I mean, I don't know where he got this. Maybe, you know, this sounds like a German Oppenheimer idea or something like that, but he's got an idea that what an animal looks at while it's in the mating act, determines what the offspring will be like. I've never heard of that before, but that's what he has in his mind. And what's important to see is that nowhere in this experiment that Jacob is doing do we find Jacob praying to God. There's nowhere where Jacob is praying to God that, to make his experiment work. He's just absolutely convinced that it's going to work. And to everyone's amazement, it works. It's unbelievable. And that's what you get in verse 39. The flocks conceived before the rods, and look at that. They brought forth this cattle that was uh, non-uniform, ring-straked, speckled, and spotted. So sure enough, when the uniform black goats and the uniform white sheep, when they looked at these non-uniform striped rods during the mating process, their offspring comes out non-uniform. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. And Jacob was really encouraged by this, and it just took a lot of work on Jacob's part. Don't ever think that he wasn't wearing himself out by doing this. But now maybe he's teaching others. Maybe he's got classes going on how to get non-black goats from black goats, how to get non-white sheep from white sheep. And it looks like Jacob has been encouraged. And so what happens when you encourage an entrepreneur? He comes up with another idea. And so he's got another great idea. And not just using the striped rods, but now Jacob's new idea is to use the actual non-uniform animals themselves as to what the female should be looking at during the mating process. That you get in verse 40. Jacob did separate the lambs and set the face of the flocks toward the ring straight, and all the brown of the flock of Laban put his own flocks by themselves, put them not in. But see, he set the faces toward them. So we can just see Jacob watching the sheep and the goats. You know, at the first birthing, after he started the experiment, and picture how everyone was so skeptical about that his experiment was going to work. No one really believed that he was going to get, you know, these, these non-uniform animals. 
that he was hoping for. And we can see how, how, how Jacob now jumps out of his skin when the females drop their first animals and they don't look like the mothers. And we can just picture how Jacob is so encouraged with his new genetics. He's got J- Jacobian genetics now. <laughs> Mendelian's got Jacobian. And we can imagine, you know, he must have been famous. I mean, Jacob must have been really famous. People probably came from miles around and learned about how did you do that? And he's really got these brilliant ideas, and it, and it looks like he's been thinking more about his discovery. And he goes and he says, now, wait a minute, i got another idea. Hey, you know, it takes the same amount of time. Actually, it takes more time for me to take care of weak, sickly animals than it does for me to take care of a strong animal. And since my time is limited, I don't want to uh, uh, have to just spend my time on weak, sickly animals. I want only strong animals. So I know I'll extend my idea and I'll call out all the weak animals and only have all the strong animals by using my idea. And that's what he got in verse 41 42. came to pass when served the stronger cattle did conceive, that he laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutter. They might conceive among the rods. Cattle were feeble. He put them out in, see? So he's convinced, he's absolutely convinced that what a female looks at during the mating process determines what the baby's going to look like. So remember, before he had set up, you know, the rods in the gutters, so that was a little easier for him because all he has to do is set them up and then he can go take a rest, you know, take a break a little bit from all this uh, extraneous, extraneous peeling and setting and so forth. And now he, he puts, this is a huge amount of work now because now he's sitting himself there in the watering troughs. And now he's waiting for the strong animals to come. And when he sees a strong animal uh, come, strong female, you know, he quickly holds out the white rod, the white striped rods there, see, in front of her during the mating process. And then he puts it away and looks, well, who's coming now? Okay, put it out. No, don't put it out, you know. He's going through this. No, when he sees a weak animal come, he says, take that rod away. I don't want you to look at that, you know. And again, you know, everybody is waiting in a five-month gestation period. See, is this going to work? Is he going to end up with stronger animals? And it's astounding in verse 42. The feebler were Laban's, the stronger were Jacob's. It worked. Yeah, I mean, he must have been a celebrity, Jacob. You know, it's just amazing. No one can explain how it worked. It just worked. And the final results were in after the six years. In verse 43, the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle, and, and he probably sold that cattle and bought maidservants and medservants and camels and asses, and it, just, it, it was just amazing. It says he, he increased greatly. In Hebrew, it means he bro- broke forth, like um, it says in Proverbs, so shall thy, uh, the vats break forth with new wine. It's break forth. This is just a great transformation here, and this is th- what happened with Jacob. I mean, you got a picture now. It's Jacob. Before this happens, Jacob is poor. He's destitute. He has nothing. Laban has everything. Jacob has nothing. But at the beginning of this experiment, and then at the end, it's all switched now. And so he's really a fulfillment of Job 8, 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end shall greatly increase. That's the word, greatly increase. So this has been a pattern for the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Genesis 13, 2. Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. This has been the pattern for Isaac. Genesis 26, 13-14, the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants, and Philistines envied him. And now, Jacob, at the end of our chapter, the man increased exceedingly, much cattle, so forth. This is the pattern for the Jewish people. 
the Jewish people. They're like Jacob, thinking that it's because of all their efforts they've gotten so much. But in reality, as with Jacob, as we're going to see, it's the blessing of God that causes all the gain. Now, at this point, Jacob is thinking, boy, I did it. I really did it. He's thinking, I'm smarter than the average bear. I did it. I don't understand how it worked, but it worked. And you know, God cared too much for, for Jacob to let Jacob get a swelled head over his Jacobian genetics, you know. So we read in the next chapter what really happened in verse 10 of chapter 31. It came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived, Jacob says, that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. Where'd they come from? And then the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, I said, here am I, and he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I've seen all that Laban doeth to thee. See, Jacob saw in a dream, he saw the real reason why the, kid, the, the goats and the sheep ha- had babies that were not like them. And it was because the males that they mated with were not like the females. There was nothing said about watering troughs in God's explanation of what happened and what Jacob saw. Nothing said about watering troughs. Nothing said about rods. God showed Jacob that the females had mated before they came to the watering troughs. And they were already pregnant from these, these non-uniform males, animals, knowing where they came from. Where'd they come from? Well, clearly, God miraculously brought them into the scene. It was all uncontrolled breeding as far as Jacob was concerned. Jacob knew nothing about it. And during this, uh, what, what Jacob was, well, it was really controlled breeding by God, but anyway, there were no rods during that whole thing. The reality is, is that Jacob's experiments had nothing to do with why the babies were not uniform in color. The reality is that Jacob's idea that what a female looks at during the mating process determines what the offspring will be, that's false. That's wrong. The reality is Jacobian genetics is wrong. The reality is God made Jacob successful in spite of Jacob, not because of Jacob. And what's so amazing about this history is that Jacob was so confident that he was, so, he was so assured that the offspring were the result of his work. But in reality, he had nothing to do with it. And how could that be? How could that be that Jacob was so disconnected from reality as to not have any idea that the result had nothing to do with his efforts, but was all the supernatural work of God? I mean, that was pretty hard for Jacob to accept I mean, you know, all this running around from water trough to water trough and keeping the certain images in the eyes of the breeding goats and females and coordinating it with the, with the mating. And so that had nothing to do with the babies that were born. That was really hard for Jacob. It was hard for Jacob to accept that. And, it, and he, you know, it's so hard. God knew it was hard. So when God, when he explains how he found out, notice what he says five times in his explanation in, in Genesis 31.10. Since it came to pass at the time when the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ringstrake speckled and grizzled. The angel of God spake unto me in a dream and saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up thine eyes and see all the rams 
there that way. See, verse five times. Verse 10, I lifted up my eyes. Verse 10, I saw in a dream. Verse 10, and behold. Verse 12, lift up now thine eyes. Verse 12, and see. Five times Jacob says that he had to open his eyes to see what really happened. Why was it so hard for Jacob to see that, that Jacob had nothing to do with it? Because Jacob's like us. He's got the I did it disease. And Jacob wanted to say, I did. And it was hard for Jacob to say, God did. Those two words, those are fatal words, I did. Did I tell you the story about the fable of the toad and the swans? Do you remember that? No, okay. I think I did, but maybe you forgot. It doesn't matter. The, the toad was bragging to the swans. Is a fable. This didn't really happen. Okay, so I just want to prepare you. The toad didn't. Anyway. The toad was bragging to the swans about how beautiful his world was underneath this muddy, you know, covering on this water. And he would tell them, you know, oh, it's so beautiful down there, you just got to come and see it. So the swans say, okay, we'll go. So the toad takes them under the water and they go around down there and they see the beautiful roots and all the beautiful underneath the water. And then they come up the top, and then the toad says, see, wasn't that great? And the, the swans say, yeah, that was really great. And the swans then said, well, would you like to see our world? Our world is really beautiful with valleys and streams and meadows and, and hills. Oh, it's beautiful. And the toad says, yes, I would like to do that, but I can't fly. And then they, they came up with a plan. And the plan was that the swans would hold uh, each of, they'd hold a branch, each of them in their, in their mouth, they'd hold a branch, and the toad would be in between, and he would hold on to the branch. And with that, they flew up in the air, and the toad looked around and flew over these beautiful valleys and the hillsides, and, and it was just it was so beautiful. And then they came to a little, little village there where a group of people were, and they looked up in amazement, and one person said, look at that. Look at how clever that is, that toad to be carried, holding onto a branch. I wonder who thought of that idea. And the toad replied, I did, and fell to his death. So <laughs> that's why the words I did are fatal. So when Jacob understood how the offspring came out to his favor, he no longer said I did, but he said God did. It's a life lesson for us. It's a life lesson for us to not go around saying I did, rather say God did. See, Jacob was wrong because Jacob was laying emphasis on the females. He thought they were the ones who were determining the offspring by what they saw, but God laid emphasis on the opposite, on the males, and showed them that they were the ones who were determining the offspring. And the wonderful part about this history is that God was blessing Jacob, even though Jacob thought he was manipulating the situation. And just think of how after Jacob's eyes were open and he realized that it was God who miraculously made breeding happen when it was totally out of Jacob's control. That was out of Jacob's control. He had no idea that was going on. And that was the reason why the offspring came out that way. See, what Jacob did with those rods was so much work. Because, you know, I can tell you from experience, animals don't breed from eight to five. <laughs> when breeding season comes, it's 24 hours. And the season for goats and for sheep's a few months. And so that means that Jacob is working like crazy, 24 hours a day for months. He's done this for six years. And now he's got to swallow the hard pill of saying it was all a waste of time. It was all a waste of time and work. And after Jacob realized that, can't you just imagine him sitting down and saying to himself, oh, man, all that work. 
I mean, all that, holding up those rods in front of those faces of those females and, and me yelling, you know, look, goat, look. And then, you know, look, sheep, look. And then I yelled to the buck, breed. I yelled to the ram, breed. You know, all this look and breed, you know. And, and it was all futile. It was worthless. It, it all meant nothing because the females were already pregnant when they came to the watering troughs. And I was all worked up and I was all anxious over getting the females to look at the rods and the males to breed at the right time. I actually lost sleep over all this, worrying about it. And and it was all useless because it had nothing to do with how the the offspring came out. But I thought it did. And I worked so hard and I got so upset over it. It was for nothing. You know, how many times have we been in Jacob's shoes? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Jewish Bible teacher Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, invites you to a Seder and Passover dinner at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Cost is $25 for D.Z. Aiken's food, fellowship, and a Passover Seder message from Tom Cantor. It's Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or go online to creationsd.org, creationsd.org.